Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. For today's conversation, we are going to discuss the readings for the sixth Sunday of Easter. You can listen to those readings on our reading podcast that was dropped yesterday. Today, we're going to focus on St. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. And there's a few things that come out that are very interesting. Jesus is speaking, and he uses the word abide uh, several times, I think four. And then he also talks about being our friend. And this is all about relationships. This is all about the work that our Lord has done for us because we live in the result of his work and we live in this new relationship with God. But first of all, let's talk about the word abide. I looked up the word and the new Oxford Dictionary states that it is to accept or act in accordance with, and that could be a rule, a decision, or an act. And then the second part of this is to be unable to tolerate. Interesting. Yes. And I looked up I looked up this word too, except I didn't go to the Oxford English. I went back to the original Greek, mm-hmm. and I looked at what word did John use when he was recording this conversation, and he used a word, uh, meno. And that word, which we translate here as abide, also means to remain and to continue. And it actually, when John uses the word, it's in a very intertwined, interpersonal way. This idea of remaining in and with each other. And it's not just for people. It's also like you can remain in God's word Mm. and God's word can remain in you. Right. Uh, So that was kind of what the, the original word, meno, Uh, was used as. Well, and at the very beginning, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And then the next thing is, you will abide in my love. And then, and I will, and then the Father's commandments and abide in his love. And I I love this because the first one, it almost seems like an invitation, abide in my love. Yeah. And then the second use is, you will will abide in my love. And I don't think Jesus dropped his voice and made a fist and threatened, but that that's a lot more command than just a nice offer. Well, the interesting thing is, as I said, I, I went back to the Greek on this one. The first one, uh, abide in my love, is actually what we would call an, um, an imperative. Hmm. It's saying, Abide in my love. It's almost a command. The first one actually is. Uh, The second one is actually what we call an indicative. It's a statement of fact. Right. Which is really interesting. The first one, and it's not a command. It's not a mean command. Right. It's more of a like, you, I'm talking to you, you abide in my love. And the second one is more, if you keep my commandments, then just a statement of fact, 
you will abide in my love. And what I really like about that, again, it becomes this relational situation that because of the work that has been done in Christ, this is actually the response. We will abide in this love, this command, this work, this life. We are now fundamentally changed. We are something different yeah. because of God's love. And because we know this in faith, because we receive this in faith, we want to be a part of it. We want to participate in this love. And we actually want to work in this love for, to and for others. And this kind of goes into the next part of the text. Uh, this is my commandment. And before we get into that, I think this is interesting. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments. And I'm always nervous about if-then statements. Right. Because didn't Jesus tell me I can't keep the commandments? And isn't the reason he came because I can't? keep the commandments. And then he seems to put this statement, if you keep them, you will abide in my love. Well, I'm, I'm lost. Right. So then what are what the commandments are we talking about? And there's a lot of comfort in this next statement because Jesus kind of changes the perspective of commandments. And it, it's, again, the reality of what we have in Christ. It's no longer... Jesus doesn't come to become the new lawgiver, the new no. taskmaster. He comes to fulfill the commandments. And then because of that fulfillment, he gives you a commandment that you are actually capable of doing in the faith. And we'll explain that in a second. But this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And I think I want to just pause there because this statement sounds very similar mm -hmm to another statement that Jesus said, a very well-known statement that we commonly call the golden rule, right. which is, you know, treat others as you would like to be treated. This is not that. Right. This is not the golden rule. This is something different, and that difference is subtle but extremely significant. This is not love, love one another as you would like to be loved. This is love one another as I have loved you, as Christ has loved us. And that difference makes all the world. Yes. Well, and we got to think about this. I made this really big statement. God, Jesus gives us this commandment that we can actually keep. Well, I don't actually love people the way God loves them. But because I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, this changes my perspective of other people. And I get to actually work to see them as Christ sees them, as Christ loves them. And, and it's not, I just want everybody to be nice to me, so I'm going to be nice to them. Right. I'm not going to love them so then I can get love back. Because when we think about this, what has God given and delivered to me? And the simple answer is everything. Uh, divine, pure love, forgiveness, so on and so forth. Have I lived up to that gift? Not even a little bit. <laughs> right. And that's how I'm supposed to love other people. It's not a reciprocal, reciprocal relationship. It is not, I love you, so you have to love me. I love you unconditionally. And in fact, Jesus makes this point as he goes on further. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This, this shift mm -hmm. from 
servants to friends, I think is really important because it does exactly what you were just talking about. When you have a servant, when you have someone that you're either paying to work for you, you know, or they're in some other way obligated to work for you, what you have is what's called, and I've talked about this before, a transactional relationship, mm-hmm. a a quid pro quo type of relationship, and that's fine. You know, for most of our jobs, we actually want a fairly transactional right. relationship because we want us to put in work for our jobs and then our jobs to pay us fair money. Transactional. But the point Jesus here is making is my relationship to you is not transactional. It is not quid pro quo. Rather, I call you friends. And this obeying of this commandment is not a transactional thing. It's not a, if you do this, then you get this. It's a, because of our relationship, because of what this relationship means to both of us, that is why you will keep this commandment. And this commandment is not, as you pointed out, one of the Ten Commandments, it's not a list of rules. It's loving one another as Christ has loved us, which once again puts it back in relationship terms. Christ's relationship with us is now how we are to go out and have relationships with others. We carry we bring that our relationship with Christ with us mm-hmm. as we go out into the world and we interact with one another. This is why, to go all the way back to the beginning, this abiding, this remaining concept is so important because what Christ is asking us to do and offering to us is for us to remain in him, to remain in his love so that as we go out, We remain in that, bring that with us, and then share that with others. And this is more than just the sharing of the facts of the gospel. This is literally sharing the relationship that Christ has formed with us, with others. And by doing so, inviting them into that relationship. We do this through action, We do this by the sharing of that love. We do this by forming non-transactional relationships with others built not on what they can do for us or their perfection, Hmm. but built instead on grace, built instead on love. Well, let me push back on something. Absolutely. Go for it. And this is very much a personal pushback. Because at the end of this argument, I'm going to circle around and correct myself. I have issues with Jesus being my friend. Mm-hmm. Because I want Jesus to be bigger and better than my friend. Yes. He's God. He's Redeemer. He's Savior. And the idea of Jesus being my friend seems to diminish this relationship. So, I've always, always struggled with this term friend. Right. And— uh, me, again, with, with my friends, it's not transactional, but it's always convenient. It's always when we have time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk or hang out. Um, and it is mutually beneficial. I always hope that my, my talents, my strengths, my whoever and whatever I am is of benefit to my friends. And not that I'm looking for them to use me. But if I can do something for them, absolutely, no questions asked, let me help you. Right. Just as when I ask for help or a situation, you're not to look at me and say, what's in it for me? 
And, you know, but again, how rarely do I connect with my friends and participate in life and so on and so forth. Right. And so, it's always been a struggle because, again, I want Jesus to be more than just my friend. I want him to be the constant guy in my life. I want him to be the constant savior, the constant provider of grace, peace, mercy. And the relationship that he actually breaks is the relationship I want. Mm. I want to be the servant because now I get marching orders. Now because I get (laughs) a structure and I know what to do and I do get transaction. Look, God, I did this. Look, Jesus, I showed up, I prayed, I did X, Y, and Z. What do I get out of it? And again, I can say this without um, it being if then. It's this is the relationship. I serve you and we should serve. And we should seek to be of service, not only to our neighbor, but to God. But without the motivation of, look, God, I prayed to you. I read your book. I put some money in the offering. Where's my gifts? Right. And that that goes back to your transaction aspect. But again, lowering myself to this servant, it now puts me into this almost false humility. Look how good I am. I'm the servant of the Most High. Instead of Jesus lifting me up and putting me in connection with himself, he took on my flesh to bring me out of this servitude and freed me to live in this love. And this is where I really like that abide aspect because we don't use that word abide. Right. I don't know I don't know a, a modern equivalent to this intertwined relationship. And, and again, this is where I struggle with friend because I don't think friend carries this intertwined relationship. Right. Like if you look at our personal friendships in our lives, most of them are not of this high standard of intertwined, remaining, continuing, abiding. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, we, we lose and gain friends and, you know, so on and so forth. And that's human nature and, and fallen situations. But the fullness of God saying, I am your friend, and all that I have is at your disposal because I brought you into this. Yeah. That's huge. And I really think at the end of the day, I'm scared of that. Mm-hmm. And it's being in his presence. But the immensity and the depth of his love and grace and that fundamental change and recognizing the depth of that insofar as my little pea brain can do, <laughs> that that's huge. And how quickly, again, I want to go back to, no, let, let me be a servant. Let, right. let me let me work. Let me do something, even if it's not going to earn anything. But give me something to do instead of this freedom to love. And I, I think, again, this, this fundamental change that I keep saying, I want to be in that love. I want to be in that relationship. I'm scared to mess it up. Right. So let, let me be the servant because now I know where I'm supposed to be. And I think Jesus answers that in verse 16, where, where you ended. You did not choose me. Because again, if I'm going to choose a relationship, it is going to be quasi-transactional, at least well-defined situations. I'm servant, your boss, and we'll leave it there. You did not choose me. But I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit for that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. 
relationship, relationship, intertwined uh, and intimately intertwined. And I, I think that is just huge, amazing, and scary in a very humbling, exciting way. Well, and here, Jesus actually does address your problem, like mm-hmm. you were saying, because he makes it clear who this relationship is dependent on. Yes. This relationship, this friendship, that as uncomfortable as that might be for us, is not something that is dependent on us, but it's dependent on Christ. And that's why it's so important that Jesus here says, you did not choose me. Right. You did not initiate this relationship. You do not even maintain. Yeah. You are not even the one that is primarily doing this remaining, continuing abiding. I am. And it's Christ who abides with us and then invites us to abide then with him. But the pressure of the relationship is on Christ. Mm -hmm. And he meets that pressure full on. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Right. Jesus is the one who lays down his life for his friends. He is the one who bears the full, heavy, life-taking weight of this relationship. And he takes it to the cross, but he also takes it to the empty tomb where he rises. We're still in the season of Easter. And because of that, and because of his ascension, which we're going to celebrate, I think, this week, because of his ascension, he now continues to abide with us even here, even now, even today. And we get to go out then with that relationship, with that abiding, with that remaining, and we get to go out and to to love one another, to bear fruit mm-hmm. um, because Jesus has chosen us, because he has called us friends. You You made a subtle move earlier and you brought up some very legitimate concerns with this idea of Jesus being our friend. And I think sometimes when we talk about the Jesus is my friend thing, the problem with that is that it often ends up bringing Jesus down. Right. Um, it ends up de-elevating him to this kind of sub-level. Well, what Jesus is actually doing here is the opposite, and this is the point that you made. It's not when, when we say Jesus is my friend, it's it's not so much that we are bringing Jesus down. It's instead that he is bringing us up yes. because it's he who calls us friends. It's not Jesus is my friend. It's Jesus saying, you are my friend. Yes. Jesus brings us up to this level. And with that new level, as you pointed out, comes more responsibility than the servant. The servant in their transactional, nice, clear-cut relationship knows where they stand. The rules are clear. With friends, the rules are a lot less clear, but the rewards are so much greater. Well, and it's the freedom of love. Yes. Because I have loved you, you go and love your neighbor. Well, how? Love them. As I loved you. Yeah. And again, the immensity. And one of the, the freeing and scaring aspects of that is your imagination is really what limits you. Mm-hmm. How can you serve? I, you know, he says, I lay down my life. How do you sacrificially serve your neighbor? And this isn't meaning that you now find ways to uh, rob yourself of health and uh, no. wealth and so on and so forth for others, but that you freely give what has been given to you. 
support, love, grace, forgiveness, mercy, so on and so forth. And it changes the way we treat and look at people because they're not your servants. No. They're the very people Christ died for, just as he died for you. And this is so hard for us because we do look at how will this person help and benefit me? And that doesn't even mean in a selfish way. It just means how will this person take care of me? And not that I'm not to participate, but what do they give me? And when you have Jesus who shows up and says, I've given you everything, go do that for others. That doesn't compute. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense. And to be given and offered that is this wonderful benefit. And again, this this abiding, I, I again appreciated, you said intertwine. I, I want to add to that intimately intertwined to the point where, where does one begin and the other end? And that should be our relationship with our Lord. Where does he begin and where does where do I end? I am enveloped in his love to the point where when I speak to my neighbor, when I act to and for my neighbor, that is Christ in me, through me. And it's not, you know, that I'm this mystical vessel that, that God works through. No, this is the sanctified life. This is my participation in the work of God because he called me his friend, because he called me living. He called me forgiven. And I get to serve and live in that. And you know what that all sounds like to me? Abiding. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.